And this is to discuss housing and the private rental sector. What does the future hold? What indeed? So the uh, panelists, if they could move to the platform here, as I call out their names, Orla Cleary. Orla is a solicitor and director of corporate services at TUA Housing, one of the country's larger approved housing bodies. Orla also serves as TUA's company secretary. Brian Motherway. Brian is a senior director in the real estate finance team at AIB and previously worked for a number of financial institutions specializing in property development and investment transactions. And Michael Hines. Michael is joint managing director of Quintain, the residential home building company he established nearly three years ago with Eddie Byrne. He previously worked in the property sector with Hudson Advisors Ireland, NAMA and Grafton Property. And this panel will be moderated by Jamie Fitzmaurice, partner in the real estate team at Mason Hayes and Kern. Jamie, over to you. Thanks, Vincent. Thank you. I'd like to start off by echoing what Oshin said at the start of the last panel. It really is great to see so many people in person. And also, in particular, um, there's also a, a very large number I know on Zoom who are still watching and who couldn't make the breakfast this morning. I am conscious that we're running slightly behind, but I know you guys have a lot to say, and I squeezed into these pants this morning at a very early hour, so <laughs> I'll be sure to give everybody plenty of time. So um, perhaps, Michael, in terms of setting the scene, first of all, like, uh, since, since we last had one of these events in person, there's been the likes of war, inflation, COVID, um, staff shortages, but those kind of things aside, what's keeping you busy at night? Yeah, th thanks, Jamie, uh, and hello, everybody. Uh, so broader market teams and, and difficulties. So maybe starting with land and acquisition. Since the land market became liquid, uh, maybe in 2015, I haven't seen such a lack of opportunity in, in the land market with viable opportunities coming across the desk. Uh, and while companies like ours have a good pipeline of, uh, of, of up to five years, we need to start looking now for, for pipeline for years five to ten. I don't know if it's because there's a lack of rezoned land. I don't know if it's because the land is sitting in the hands of landowners uh, that just aren't open to selling. The site, the vacant site levy doesn't seem to be working. But uh, but we need as as policyholders, local local authorities, and even developers, you know, to really look at this because you know the housing crisis could become a land crisis too in three or four years' time if 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 the land is isn't there to uh, for for the future. Um, maybe the next team, and it's already been talked about quite in detail by panel one, but planning. Like we have three sites in, in SDZs. The theory is you're supposed to be able to get planning within eight weeks of getting the application submitted. Our average timeline for an SDZ application is running at about 12 to 18 months. Uh, and it's for one simple reason. It's the capacity isn't there in the local authorities. Uh, it takes us months to get a pre-application meeting. Uh, then when we do get them, the feedback from the pre-application meetings are, are, are a bit grey, so we're not able to submit a best-in-class application. It means we get a request for, for, for further information, further clarification. So we really need to address this capacity issues in the local authorities, and I think they acknowledge it themselves. Um, the, other, uh, the other area of planning trends, and I think Stephen Garvey touched on it, on it earlier on, is planners are, you know, they're starting to get into target market, just start, starting to decide specification. They're starting to, you know, decide where they want certain building standards to be without truly understanding viability. Uh, and we're getting plannings now, but I'm, I'm not sure they're quite viable, even before the, the cost inflation went through. And so we really need to start thinking maybe doing the viability test that Stephen mentioned or, or working together better to, to better understand what's, what, what's viable to deliver for a target market. Uh, moving towards construction, uh, I think we're all aware of the construction crisis. Uh, our office has seen 15% plus inflation since uh, over the last 18 months. Uh, 
largely driven by firstly Brexit and COVID and the war. And this all combined with uh, uh, continued very high level of demand for materials uh, across the world. Uh, and when you think that developers' margins are generally anywhere between 10 to 20%, you know, there's jumping costs of 15% here. There's going to be viability issues. Uh, so I think the government really need to set up a task force here. We need to start better understanding labor inflation, material inflation. Um, we, we don't have proper indexes here. Uh, and the government need to ensure that when material prices do come back, that they get given back to the contractor and the subcontractors and it feeds into the system because affordability is a big, a big issue. Other trends in construction, the fixed price contract is no longer available. So we had six tenders in over the last four weeks. Uh, and we can now, they'll only do a part fixed price, part open book. The fixed price element is, is labor, uh, and then they will bring the, the cost of delivery up to today, uh, plus a small bit of inflation. But uh, beyond uh, today, uh, the hyperinflation element, that's now the risk of, uh, of the developer. Uh, so we got to try and understand what that is. Procurement happens for the first 18 months of a construction program generally. Uh, and we now trying to figure out what that cost will be, get ourselves comfortable, get our shareholders comfortable, uh, and then get uh, the banks comfortable. So it's quite complex. Uh, and so quite, a, quite a lot in there. To, um, and we'll, we'll circle back to a couple of those yeah. uh, later on. Um, <laughs> perhaps, Brian, from your perspective, um, look, looking at the current situation and some of the issues that Michael have outlined, how do things look from a lender's perspective? Yeah, thanks very much, Jamie, and I'm really happy to join the panel today. Um, Michael's covered off a heck of a lot of ground there very quickly, uh, to be fair to him. Um, and these are a lot of the challenges we're seeing every day talking to our development clients. So in AAB Real Estate Finance, we're funders to the housing sector for housing schemes, apartment complexes for sale, apartment complexes to rent or PRS, and also social housing as well. So we cover all the spectrum. So we're talking to developers across everything. So we're seeing quite a lot at the moment. Um, it's, it's, it's funny, it's real mixed bag from a lending perspective if you take the market because we kind of started into the market again back in 2014 and 15. And at that time, what we were really seeing was the building regulations had changed and gone up, cost of building had gone up, and we needed to see where the market was going to be from a sales perspective. So that we needed a bit of stabilization around sales to drive on the supply. And a lot of talk was around the, the LTI, about affordability, and about people getting a mortgage to be able to purchase that house and move in. And that was a, a real thing. And go on to where we are today, nearly eight or nine years later, or seven or eight years later, we're probably not a lot in a different place in terms of the whole thing. We're still talking about supply. We're still talking about affordability. So we do spend a lot of time concentrating on that amount of the market because we're a big mortgage bank, but also as well, viability of the individual scheme. So when we're looking at the state of play today as a funder, uh, if we go back to lockdown one and COVID, um, personally, haven't gone through the previous recession, seeing what happened from the lending market, having gone through it uh, for several years, we would have been concerned. We could have seen, okay, a lot, of, a lot of commentary was around sales are going to decline. There's going to be issues around sales velocities, and we're going to have a bit of a property problem from a residential point of view. That didn't happen, luckily, so we've seen very strong sales performance since then. That's been consistent. That's across the scheme houses and also across the private rental sector. So real positive from that point of view, from a lending perspective. That gives us a lot of certainty on the end product. Um, the other positive we see is in terms of, because we're at the very end of that planning cycle, is the planning commencement numbers have been moving in a generally okay direction, albeit there's the headwinds we've listened to this morning in detail. But the cumulative 12-month rolling plannings are 30,000 plus. So that's good because supply hopefully will increase and we're all looking for increased supply. Um, I mentioned the investment sector. 
from our point of view, we closely monitor how much investment's coming into the, the market, into residential. That number has moved up from, I think, in 2016, it would have been like 6% or something of the overall market was into residential investment. That's gone up to over 30% now. So that strength and weight of capital coming into the residential market has really pushed the supply from our point of view and helps us to be able to fund apartment complexes in, 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 main, in the main, really, because that's where there's a big viability challenge. Um, and the other thing, as I mentioned before, kind of a, a quick summary comment at the end, is more about interest rates at the moment. So things we're watching closely, obviously, is the global economic situation and then the interest rate environment. That interest rate environment is moving a little bit. There's price hikes being built in this year, say 75 basis points. So we're watching that very closely. It obviously impacts our longer term debt, how we assess that. And uh, it's probably something to keep an eye on. But today, today at the moment, we're having hedging conversations with clients, but we're not massively worried about that interest rate environment per se in the market at a wider level. Thanks, Brian. So we've heard some, we've got definitely some positives there, but certainly similar themes of viability, uncertainty. As, a, as, a, as an end buyer of product, um, Orla, how, how's that affecting you at the moment? Yeah, it's it's actually funnily enough, we're having a lot of the same problems that are already mentioned on the by Michael and by Brian as well. Um our, our serious difficulty at the minute is in long-term planning because we work off a five-year plan for we've got a plan program for the next five years and we put our funding around that. So while the last few years have been incredibly successful and the next two years I think are reasonably secure, it's very difficult to plan beyond year three and, and to, to see what's coming online and what kind of prices are going to be paid for it. So, so that's a real difficulty for us internally. The other thing is, I know Michael said there is no such thing as fixed price contract, but we have to work off fixed price contracts because the, the way our funding works out, uh, we get private funding and then a grant from government um, or an unsecured loan. So we need to know exactly how much we're going to pay for something in the future. Um, and there's a huge amount of uncertainty, even with things that we already had in our in our plan program for delivery. Um, the interest rate increases are, are already affecting us. Um, and inflation rates as well are we're gonna have we have to cost in those because we we look at long-term ownership. So when we buy a building, we're not just looking at it on day one, we're looking at how much it's gonna cost over the next 30 years. So even inflation costs in terms of management and maintenance of buildings has certainly increased. Um, and then we have to build in inflation costs into our stress testing as well to make sure that anything that we do buy is financially viable on day one, but also on day 30 or on year 30, I should say, in terms of we have our own construction program as well. So we're seeing exactly the same things as, as Michael and as Brian mentioned as well, in terms of um, tendering and uh, contractors standing over at tender prices. Um, so there, there's a lot of uncertainty there. The final just bits and pieces then are just around recruitment and retention are a big problem, I think, across the board. So that's internally, but it's also, I know, for, for contractors, developers, subcontractors that we're working with, and then for management and maintenance teams in the future as well, that it's very difficult to get staff these days and, and to retain staff. So that's that's having an effect on how we do things. Thanks, Rora. And just actually, as I see the iPad here on the, on the table, um, I'm reminded of one of my... Uh, advice notes coming up was look at the camera as well for people on Zoom, but also to remind people on Zoom if they want to submit um, questions, we, I've been trusted with the iPad, so we'll try and circle back to those at the end as well. And um, perhaps looping back to uh, one of the things from both panels, um, Michael, was, was ESG. I know Oshin scared us with the smart cities elements, but looking at the nuts and bolts of, of ESG, um, how is that having an impact on the products that you're, being, that you're delivering and being asked to deliver? And is it having an impact on costs? Um, uh, listen, ESG is probably one of the most talked about topics uh, in our office and the industry at the moment. 
a bit more positive here. I, I think Ireland are really well set up to be a leader in sustainability and ESG, largely driven by you know the the, the significant increase in building standards uh, over the last number of years. Today, our homes they're A rated, they're NZEB, they're nearly zero energy buildings. Uh, um, and uh, and when you think that the UK is B rated and a lot of other countries aren't at that standard, it's something that's that, that we should we should emphasise to the homeowners more. Um, on the on the larger PRS schemes, we're not only getting A rated homes, but we're looking at uh, more worldwide recognised certification like BRIAM. So where the building standards are at today, we're, we're without any additional cost, we're actually able to achieve a very good BRIAM rating which is huge in, in, in trying to attract international investment or continued investment into the, into the PRS sector. But we don't just focus on the product. On the construction side, we try and ensure all our contractors are considered a contractor certification. So how do they get that? Well, they have to ensure the appearance of the site uh, uh, looks good in adjacency to homes and, and open spaces. They have to respect the community, dust, noise, working hours. They have to uh, have really good uh, construction management plans protecting the environment, um, good health and safety plans uh, and good strategies around respecting all employees on the site. So our, our contractors are, are at it too. And finally, the sites themselves can get a certification and we're looking at those too. Uh, and Cherrywood was the first site in Ireland to get a well community certification. Um, uh, Hines achieved that a couple of months ago. And the type of criteria you have to pass there is proximity to transport, schools, open spaces, uh, work, live, play, as well as having the right densities and qualities of, of homes and the sites. And, and yet Cherrywood is one of the, I think it is the one of three site stroke developments uh, that have achieved that certification in Europe. So Ireland is really well set up because of the building standards are so high and it should be our calling card uh, for, for continued investment. I knew we'd get to the positives um, eventually. <laughs> so, but it, it, am I understanding it correctly then in terms of, because of the standards we currently have and what we're right. currently doing, the, the, the actual ESG costs are almost built in already yeah. at the current levels? We are at a, an expensive cost today already, but they're built into that cost, yes. yes. And Brian, how about yourselves? How important is ESG for, for, for you as a lender and how important is it going to be? Yeah, probably from a, from a lender looking at it as real estate finance, you know, all the things Michael's mentioned there are things that makes Ireland as a, build, as a building product and giving product to people very attractive to international investors and domestic investors as well. So pretty much on a weekly basis, even yesterday, we were talking to investors from, from wider European countries who were interested in Ireland. One of the things they continually say to us is your ESG, your green credentials are very good, and that's a real positive. So uh, we're having constant conversations about ESG. From an AIB point of view, uh, you know, we're heavily investing in it. If you listen to the media, all the, all the things we do with this annual sustainability report that comes out with our annual financial report, um, and it's a big part of our day-to-day. -day. You know, we've got a longer-term plan for 2030. We're, we're targeting to be um, net zero from a carbon point of view and, and lower our footprint. That's a journey we're on at the moment. You know, um, what are we doing on the lending side, probably? Like, that's our operational side of our business when we look at it that way, and that's one thing. Then there's the other side of it from the business perspective. We're, we've got green lending targets. We're aiming to try and get to 70% of our new business lending to be seven, to be green by 2030. And that's a journey we're on. So that's not started just you know today or yesterday. We're, we're at that for a while. It's going to take us a while to get there. Um, I think last year we were like 2 billion of green lending, and that was maybe 20% of our overall new lending in the year in 2021. But there was a considerable over 35% jump on that year to year from the previous year. So that probably gives people a context of how important uh, ESG is to AAB. 
um, you know, we're not just looking at the, the, the E side of it. It's obviously we're very involved in social and communities as well. And the governance is important to us. Um, the other thing I'd say probably on housing, then moving to that, like housing is a key component for AIB. It's obviously then because of the credentials Michael was talking about as being A rated rather than say B like the UK and very good ratings from HPI point of view or BREAM or LEED and well buildings. Uh, it means from that point of view, when we look at it, it's a key component for our green lending targets. Um, that's very important to us. We are seeing investors coming to us and having conversations about assets and looking at what they would call the green premium. So green premium is something that we would have heard of maybe a year or two ago, but it wasn't really something that was seen. Now we're starting to see that from a valuation point of view coming into the market. Our sense is that will mature over time. And I suppose it's important from a finance point of view, you know, that doesn't just mean that banks will only finance those types of assets, but it means there's going to be a blend to the portfolio. And for us, it's going to be very important to manage that blend um, and, and support our clients in, in relation to that. So the kind of thing we're talking about, Jamie, at the moment as well is, uh, is, is retrofitting. Um, obviously, as Michael said, costs, the challenge of retrofit is, is cost at the moment. The benefits are there from a green point of view. Um, and that's going to be a big area we're going to focus on from a real estate finance point of view over the next six, 12 months and beyond. Thanks, Brian. Now, uh, kind of, Michael's building it and Brian's blending into it. How important is ESG um, or like when, you, when you're looking at a property and perhaps a slightly related question, how important is it or is it important from your end user's perspective? Yeah, it's incredibly important. I think, look, the, the nature of the AHB sector and social housing, I think we've been doing ESG for quite a long time. We just necess haven't necessarily been calling it ESG. So obviously the social element of that is really important and, you know, the tenant engagement and and making sure that our, the tenants and, and our employees, you know, are, are safe and secure and are, and are happy where they live. Um, and the governance side, obviously, we're regulated, uh, so so we have to abide by all of that. But we're, we've more started concentrating on the environmental side. So from a funding perspective, we do have requirements like any new properties we buy have to be A rated. Uh, secondhand properties, I think, are a C rating. Um, and as part of our funding as well, we do have to consider whether we carry out environmental impact assessments for any new properties as well. But in terms of specifically of the tenants, I suppose the nature of the people that we house, um, they have a lower income threshold. So uh, fuel poverty is an incredibly important piece of the puzzle for them and making sure that they don't have you know, extortionate energy costs, for example. And I know that's something that we're talking about a lot at the minute um, with the increased energy prices. Um, the, the, the properties have to be affordable to run. Um, so a lot of that is, is making sure that we we look at new energy sources, but also we do a lot of training with our, our tenants to make sure that whatever new systems we bring in, um, that, that people know how to use them because they, we're finding that that's a, a significant problem in terms of feedback. So we're doing a lot of training in the future. Um, we run a lot of biodiversity schemes with our tenants um, we, where we plant bulbs and, and, and different things like that. But in, we just from a more construction point, it's definitely something that we're putting more of a focus on. We've, we've started a retrofit program last year, so we are rolling that out over the next 10 years. I think the cost at the minute is about 19000 per unit. Um, and, and that's going to you know continue to flow because as soon as you, you, you get to year 10 and you've upgraded everything, you have to start all over again. Um, so they're, they're the main things, but the other uh, discussions that we are having internally is around new forms of housing delivery as well, that maybe looking at increased use of modular housing, timber frame construction, and looking at whether, you know, we should be getting certification for our own houses or insisting on certification for houses that we buy as well directly from the market and from developers. Okay. So 
a lot there. <laughs> a, lot, a lot in that. And that was all too uh, far too positive and uplifting, Michael. Perhaps if we, <laughs> if, we, if we go back to almost where we started off at the start of the morning and some of the challenges that we're facing. And kind of if, if as an industry, you, you, you and the colleagues in the industry are going to kind of, and with government meet the targets for, for delivery, how, how, how difficult is it going to be? And do you have any ideas um, in terms of how we might improve and keep uh, staff in, in the industry? Yeah, listen, the, the shortage of skilled labour uh, in the construction industry is, is, is well known now for over five years. Uh, we, you know, we had the last decade of building post-financial crisis. Then we sort of, we went from 2000 to whatever, early 20,000 practical completions this year. The slow ramp up was mixed by we needed a bit more confidence to get building and scale more, but also there just wasn't the workers there to do it. But we appear to have the workers there to do 20, 20 odd thousand houses a day, but a Sullis report was published there last week. It said that we need 52,000 more workers to get from 22,000 to 33,000 if, if you go by the housing for all requirement. Uh, and last year, 6,000 apprenticeships went through the, the system. We need 52,000 workers now and 6,000 went through the system. So, so we, we, we need to seriously talk about this. Apprenticeships, can we make them faster, more flexible? Can we get grants out there to companies or individuals to incentivize them to go into it? But that won't fix it. The, the government did a great job with the idea of attract, attracting foreign direct investment uh, and, empl- and, and international companies to, uh, to, to Ireland over the last 10 years. They need to do the same for skilled workers. Get on the road, Canada, America, Asia, Europe. There's a certainty of pipeline here for the next 10 years. That's what workers want to hear. And Ireland's a great place to live. They need to do it. They need to do it now. Otherwise, we're going to labour hyperinflation. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Orla, what challenges do you see in the next 12 to 24 months? Or clearly, the kind of Michael challenges will, will be your challenges to an extent, but do you, do you see any other ones that kind of at your end and any ideas on how they might be overcome? Um, again, a lot of the challenges Michael have, I suppose, we're just facing it from the other side of the road. So um, I in terms of the, the AHB sector specifically, there's there's a lot of changes at the moment. So we just we're subject to statutory regulation since the start of this year and everybody's gearing up for that. I think our sector as a whole um, will see a lot of changes as well in terms of mergers, acquisitions and stock transfer as as, as people sign up to regulation and, and consider the effects of it. Um, I also think that there will be some, there have to be some change as well in, in how we fund ourselves. We, we all AHB started off initially with 100% grant funding from government. We moved then to, to debt financing, but I definitely see a role for some form of equity funding as well in the sector. And it's something that we're looking at maybe engaging. And I was happy to hear the minister mention it earlier as well, but just dealing with the equity investment funds, uh, pension funds, green energy funds, I think they're just a the perfect fit for the AHB sector. So we're definitely working on a lot of those in the future as well. Thanks for that. And Brian, if, kind of, does AIB have a fix? How can you help your? How can you help uh, help the situation? And I suppose, well, what challenges do you see, or, or are the challenges the same? Yeah, probably very similar. I think on the staffing side, just to touch on that, because I was fascinated to listen to the previous panel as they were talking, as Caroline was talking about hybrid working and all the flexible working things they're doing. Like that's increasing in importance for us. You would have said three years ago that AIB was going to have laptops and remote working in the Microsoft Teams. People would have said you were bonkers. Um, but it's amazing how a pandemic can get you to move. Um, so those things are important to us, training, education, critical things as well. Probably the biggest thing from our point of view in terms of development finance and lending into the sector at the moment is the challenge around construction costs. Um, and like I'll probably give 
context for a second is how we're trying to deal with that, Jamie. Um, it's not the most easiest thing. We're very similar to Orla in that we're, we're always looking for certainty as, as much as possible. So when we look at a project, it's, it's fairly simple enough in a way. Can you build it? Can you sell it? Uh, the sales side is okay. Great. Good. We're good there. And the next side then you're looking at is cost. For a long time, we had a lot of certainty around costs. We were able to see a supply chain that was very visible and we could look at the procurement of a project and get up to high digits fairly easy on percentages. So we weren't too concerned about it. We've bank monitors in place. And then in the last six months, that's probably all changed. Really rapid inflation in the start of the year. And probably the biggest concern we'd have at the moment around that is um, give a bit of context on viability. Like viability is more challenging than ever. So certain projects bought at certain times, land value is very important. In some cases, the land value and the, the stack of the actual project, be it you know, from the cost of construction, the sales, the profit margins that we were seeing are going down. That's putting pressure on our developers. We're still financing projects and to be positive about it, we are financing projects. The market is busy. It's highly competitive on the debt side. But what we are seeing is that there is some projects there that are struggling just to get to the threshold level to get built. So a concern we'd have is when we see commencements in Q3 and Q4, hopefully we won't see a fall off in commencements. And that's probably one of the key things I'll be looking at. How we deal with the costs from an inflationary point of view at the moment is by working extremely closer with, close with the clients. I think it's key. The banks have to be embedded into the project team. The funder is no longer, in my mind, put to the side and just left there until they're needed. They need to know what goes on with the project. They need to be integrated into the project the same way as what we learned from the lockdowns and COVID. It's the only way to work together. And then you can deal with the problems, which are, you know, there's a myriad of them, but there's always ways to, to, to deal with it and make sure that uh, the residential accommodation gets funded across the full spectrum, be it social, uh, affordable or private. Perfect. Thanks, Brian. Maybe moving slightly towards the, the, the future, some, some horizon gazing, um, not so much as the last panel, perhaps, but um, we, we must be doing some things right. I mean, we, we touched on some of them earlier on. Are there other areas that we can build on uh, going into the future? Yeah, like Quintain, we're operating in, in three STZs uh, and one uh, local area plan. And the one thing our office definitely think uh, policymakers and local authorities are getting right is how they're adopting the the 15 minute town planning concept into into these stzs uh, and what i mean by that is that everything is available to a homeowner or a renter uh, within 15 within a 15 minute cycle or walk whether that's public transport amenities uh, uh, employment um, culture etc and the local authority and policymakers are ensuring that we're delivering the, this infrastructure in tandem with, with, with housing occupation and in fairness to the government for helping us out with URDF fundings to get that infrastructure vibe built into the scheme. So, so our homeowners are living healthier and happier lives because this town planning concept is, is being done well right now. And the other thing they're, they're getting quite well is just the permeability and, and green spaces in the schemes. So the, the pedestrian routes, the cycling routes, uh, uh, they're all connected. If you think about 1980s estates where there's cul-de-sacs and you have to jump the wall or, or, or take the long way, that's no longer. A, a, and a lot of these, these sort of permeability routes, they're nicely dressed in landscape now. So it's not just going from A to B, it's an enjoyable movement from A to B. So I just think the new suburbs are, 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 are to a much higher level. Uh, and with the working from home that the guys are talking about here, it, it's, it, that's great to see for Ireland. Well, thanks. Yeah, Orla, perhaps yourself, is there anything that you'd like to see just done better that would make like, your, your job and easier and the life of your tenants better? Yeah, I, de I definitely think the uh, the 15-minute um, idea of, of town planning is, is really important because that just revitalizes towns and cities as well. Um, 
uh, the it, it just makes a, a nice place and where I suppose our, our concept is all about building communities so it's much easier to do that uh, rather than having an, an unfinished estate with no transport links that's 20 minutes outside town um, another thing we just like to see expanded is just this idea of new forms of tenure as well so it's not just social um, it's not just private but increasing this idea of affordable uh, so we have brought it or we have um, we're in the middle of delivering a number of cost rental schemes so they're for the people who are just above the the social housing income threshold but don't you know are, are finding it tight to pay current market rates as well and that's something that we plan to roll out over the next couple of years there with 250 units um and just in terms of ways of improving things just to i guess for the government to stay open to those new ideas the new forms of tenure the new forms of funding um that would be a big thing for us because we're always coming up with new ideas we just need a an, an open ear to them a lot of the time Perhaps that not quite so easy question, Brian, for you. Perhaps I might just up it a little bit. Like, how is lending going to change into the future? Do, do, do you think will we have more banks? Will we have less banks? Uh, good question. That's probably the, the one question on the list that, that somebody in my position does not want to get asked is the wider market. Um, so I apologise to my, any of my, my colleagues, peers in the, in the audience if I make a hash of this. I really apologise for it. Um, yeah, like I, I, th- I think probably looking at the looking at the market at the moment. We have seen growth in the number of lenders in the, the development finance and investment finance areas over the last number of years. But to be fair, that's been driven by new alternatives coming in back to private equity in some, in some cases. And that gives a greater depth to the lending market. So I'm, I'm over 20 years in the, in the lending game of property for my sins. Uh, you know, much of that was spent in the noughties where there was a very small cohort of banks. A lot changed from 2010 on, a hell of a lot changed from 2010 on. So now we, we actually have more lenders across the debt stacks. We've senior funders, we've mezzanine funders, uh, uh, you know, we've uni trans funders. We have more domestic players and international players. I, I think, Jamie, I'd be remiss if I didn't say like that. The complaint we get regularly from our clients is that there now is only two of the traditional pillar Irish banks in, in the country. So Ulster Bank are leaving. You know, from an AIB point of view, we're very excited to take over their corporate portfolio and some people with it as well. Huge challenge for us over the summertime. Um, that's fine. But from a client point of view, it does cause that question. So that's one of the negatives at the moment. Um, what I would say as well in terms of the future, like it's unlikely currently to see another senior funder coming in um, just with the dynamics of the market. Um, but to the positive side for people in the audience who are saying, crikey, that's not great if I've got to go and get funding at the moment. What we are seeing is when we are tendering for projects, either of stuff that comes in direct from our clients or in from, from debt brokers, it's hugely competitive in the market. People are coming in looking for a range of options. If you take a development facility, they might come in looking for a spectrum of anything from you know, 55 loans of cost up to 75 loans of cost. If we're talking about an investment facility, it could be anything up to 80%. So people are being quite shrewd as to how they look at it. They're looking at the debt stack. They're examining their options. They're examining their pricing, having gone through full tender process. And it's very competitive. So we could easily tender for something and we could be one of 10 on something very competitive. And that goes for, for transactions, be it for a 5 million housing loan up to something that's 100 million. So it's, it's very competitive. Um, I think trend-wise, like the, the whole sustainability piece is key to a lot of stuff. It's, it's very much at the forefront of things. Um, like we recently launched our green, our green loan for development finance. We have a report only out yesterday, so I'll give a, can I give a shameless plug to the report, uh, that uh, Pat O'Sullivan and the Irish Green Building Council were involved in, which is sustainability and commercial real estate. Uh, I've read it. It's a good report. It's a learning process for us, so that's something we'll invest time in. Um, and I'm trying to think, is there anything else there really? I suppose change, we always get asked a lot is, 
will the lending parameters and appetite change or not? Will it stay the same? What's going to happen? I think we saw with COVID, when a market shock happens or market movements happens, the lenders will move with it. So things will either pull forwards or backwards or, you know, LTCs might go up or down, pricing might come in and out. That's what drives it. So we're market driven. But the outlook at the moment, I think for the rest of this year in particular, albeit there are headwinds, the outlook is fairly stable from a lending point of view. I find it hard to see LTCs, LTVs changing a whole pile and pricing is pretty, pretty stable. Investment pricing and take, for example, um, PRS or, 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 or social networks, you know, for investment facilities, that pricing has come down and come under pressure from a banking point of view since the, uh, the end of lockdown two, probably. So there's positives out there from, from a lending point of view, albeit uh, trying, to, trying to deal with all them and, and then work them through. So yeah, not too bad. Excellent stuff.